Matthew 23, verse 1 to 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So practice and observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. But you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you're all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Heavenly Father, we call on you for your blessing. As we look to your word, we pray that you would be pleased to teach us, instruct us, guide us, lead us. Press your truth upon our hearts, O Lord, that we would not be found to be hearers only, but uh, that by your grace you would make us doers as well. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In a recent article, R.C. Sproul tells a story uh, where a friend of his approached him with a question. He asked him this. He said, uh, R.C., tell me, what is the big idea about Christianity? And R.C. answered the question this way. He said, the big idea about Christianity is this, Coram Deo. Has anybody ever heard that phrase, Coram Deo? Yeah, some of them, like one. We studied Latin in high school, so yeah. We don't use Latin very much unless we're in medicine or... Uh, maybe in law. Uh, it's a simple phrase that means before the face of God. Before the face of God. And what the phrase encapsulates is the idea of consciously living before the eyes of God. Um, uh, King David tells us in Psalm 139, for instance, that there's, there's nowhere that we can go and be apart from the presence of God. He says that, you know, if we were to go uh, up to heaven, there God is. If we were to go down into the abyss or down into Sheol, there God is. If we were going to the midst of the sea, there God is. And even the night is as day. Uh, and many times, you know, that's often a very uncomfortable thought to us to know that uh, there's nowhere where we can go where God can't see us. Um, but it's the truth. And Coram Deo is this idea uh, of consciously living before the eyes of God to realize that we're before the eyes of God. And because we're before the eyes of God, we're living in a way that, uh, that, uh, that pleases God. Uh, we're living in a, uh, in a way that's consciously aware of the presence of God, and we're living, in, living with a purpose of glorifying God you know, the first question in our catechism touches on this. Uh, starting in January, we'll be studying the shorter catechism. And the first question famously asks, what is the chief end of man? Uh, and the answer, the, the man's chief end or man's major purpose, that's what's meant by end. Man's chief end is to glorify God 
and to enjoy Him. We don't want to forget that last part, you know, enjoy Him. A lot of times in the church we get it in our minds that, you know, glorifying God, that's dull and uh, that, that's uh, laborious work that we don't want to take part of. No, uh, if we're looking at it that way, we're missing the whole thing. Uh, Coram Deo actually involves this whole idea of, of, of living and loving uh, to please uh, Almighty God. And uh, that's the essence of, of really the Christian life. Now, when we look to our text, we clearly see that the scribes and the Pharisees are living in a way that is totally opposite of this, aren't they? Verse 5, Jesus tells us that they do all their deeds to be seen by others. Ouch! Um, I, I think that would smart. Uh, if, especially if we're in the crowd, and I presume there were a number of Pharisees in the crowd as Jesus is saying these things. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. He's exposing the motives behind their deeds. I mean, they're laboring to be seen. I mean, a, a, a possible translation of that verse would read this way. They do all their deeds to be looked upon with admiration. You could translate the verse that way. They do all of their deeds to be looked upon with admiration. Uh, they were in it for public recognition. They were on about their reputations and personal satisfaction. That's the exact opposite of living quorum Deo. This exact opposite of living before the face of God uh, with intentions of glorifying Him, enjoying Him, uh, pleasing Him. It's the, it's the totally opposite. Now, uh, we've already dealt with this some, I mean, way back in chapter 6. Um, it might be to your benefit maybe just to keep your finger where you are and kind of leaf back to chapter 6 of Matthew's Gospel for a moment. Uh, it's been a very long time since we were back in Matthew 6. Uh, but if you turn the pages back just a little bit to Matthew 6 and verse 1, back in what we call the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus is touching on this very thing. And He, he says in, in verse 1, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. You see that? For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. And then he goes on in verse 2. He says, Thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. Now who are the hypocrites? If you look back to chapter 5 and verse 20, you remember that famous uh, phrase that Jesus says, it says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of who? The scribes and the, and the Pharisees. It's the same characters. See, he was talking about them all the way back in chapter 5. It's the same characters. It's the hypocrites. Thus, when you give to the needy, verse, uh, chapter 6, verse 2, thus when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites or the scribes and the Pharisees do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. It's kind of humorous a little bit here, what Jesus is saying. The, the, the idea would be kind of like going out and doing something for the poor. And uh, then after you did something for, uh, uh, for somebody, you did your good deed, and then carrying a little trumpet around with you, you know, to draw attention to yourself, you know. Um, it's kind of humorous, isn't it? That's what's going on here, isn't it? You know, we do this, do that. There we go. Um, 
Now, Jesus extends this warning in verse 5, chapter 6, verse 5. He extends it to first prayer and then later to fasting. Verse 5, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. They love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. And then uh, he goes into the Lord's Prayer. And then in verse 16, he says, When you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, <clears throat> someone, might, someone might ask at this time, they might say, you know, well, wait a minute. Okay, I remember us studying all these verses. I remember, I remember that. And I remember Jesus saying something like, let your, you know, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory uh, to your Father. Well, yeah, you'll, you'll see that verse back in chapter 5 and verse 16. And it seems to be kind of contradicting, doesn't it? Uh, what is it? Are we, to, are we to be laboring to be seen or are we to be laboring not to be seen? Uh, well, there's, there's no contradiction here. Uh, the distinction between these two things has everything to do with the motive behind what we're doing. Uh, in, in chapter 5, verse 16, when Jesus is calling the church to let our light shine before others, uh, which we read at the opening uh, of our service, uh, 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 he's calling the church to be the salt of the earth, uh, to light of the, of the world. Uh, it, it, the motives behind doing that is for the glory of God. Uh, the motives behind that is coram Deo. It's, it's living before the presence of God with intentions of pleasing Him, enjoying Him, giving glory to Him. It's not doing things for the applause and admiration of others. See, you see, it has everything to do with motives here. Everything to do with motives. So Jesus is rebuking those who are out doing things to be seen so that they may gain some kind of personal recognition. And again, this is living before, uh, not living before the face of God, it's living before the face of the world. Uh, it's living before the face of a career, perhaps. Uh, living before the face of, of uh, a personal legacy, if you will. And I think it's, it'd be good right now maybe to stop and begin to examine our hearts here uh, in regards to this. Um, you know, how much do we do to be seen? This is going to vary from person to person. Some of us are perhaps more given to this than others, but, uh, you know, we might pause for a moment and think, okay, how much do I do uh, to be seen by others? And to what degree do I live before the face of the world? Uh, to what degree do I cringe before the face of the world when it comes to sharing my faith, for instance? Um, to what degree do we live before the face of the desire to be liked by others. Uh, these are powerful influences, aren't they? I, I like to be liked. Um, I find, though, that being faithful to the Scriptures often uh, has a, a trail behind me wanting to chase me up a tree with a noose, as I shared on Wednesday night. Uh, if you're going to be faithful with the Scriptures and faithful follow, faithfully follow Jesus, I mean, the world's not going to be happy about that. You're going to find yourself in some scrapes from time to time. Uh, that's all there is to it. Um, we have to ask ourselves this question, is God's recognition enough? If we're living quorum Deo, we're recognizing the fact that God sees everything that we're doing. 
And in this world, we're not always going to get all of the recognition that we feel that we deserve. Is God's recognition enough for us? Is it enough for us that God sees everything that we do? It's a good question for us to ask. Um, one thing I, I will assure you is that God's never going to forsake you. He will never forsake you. And um, uh, He has rich rewards for all of us who follow Him. He's never going to shortchange you. He's never going to snub you. Is His recognition enough? You know, in the Gospel of John, Jesus puts it this way, and this was our, our Scripture memory verse this morning. He says, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? I'll read that again. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? That's really an interesting and probing question, isn't it? I think I shared with a couple of you of uh, in my own personal Bible reading time, I came across this verse a few months ago and really reflected on it quite a bit. Uh, we can see the impossibility, actually. You can't believe when you receive glory from one another. If we're, if we're on about living before the face of the world, we can't be on about living before the face of God. We can't do both. We are making a decision uh, we, we can only do one uh, or the other. And Jesus in this verse is really, he's showing us what keeps many folks from believing, ambition, pride, uh, vanity. You know, if, if Jesus would have came in pomp, if he would have came in majesty, if he would have came in splendor, and if his followers would have been, you know, more of a higher caste, you know, more of a dignified sort, if they would have been from the upper classes, I don't have any doubt, but these proud Pharisees would have been anxious to follow him. They'd been all over him because this is the end thing. You got to get on an end thing here. We got a wave coming and the way to do this is to get on the wave and ride. Let's go. But that's not how Jesus came, is it? As we go into the Christmas season, we celebrate the way Jesus came. He wasn't born to a princess whose home was in a palace. He came lowly. He was born into a really low estate, in a mean, in a state of poverty. And how about some of the folks that follow him? My goodness. How about the likes of us? And what about this idea of denying yourself? Who brought that in here? And taking up a cross and following Jesus. The world's not interested in this. It's not interested in this at all. Um, Albert Barnes commenting many years ago on this verse. He said, a man cannot believe the gospel 
while he is wholly under the influence of ambition. A man cannot believe the gospel while he is wholly under the influence of ambition. The two are not compatible. The religion of the gospel is humility, and it, it makes us think of verse 12. If you look at verse 12, you go back to Matthew 23 and look at the last verse we read. Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. But then he makes another promise. Whoever humbles himself will what? Be exalted. Will be exalted. So if we go back to verse 5, we look again. Chapter 23, verse 5. Jesus says, They do all their deeds to be seen by others. That's the religious leaders of the day. For they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. That word phylactery. Someone just asked me the other day what that was. What is a phylactery? It's this little leather box. Has anybody ever seen one? It's a little leather box that was uh, worn on the forehead and worn on the arm. It had a little leather strap that kind of went like, almost like a headband. And inside the little leather box was some parchments. There were four passages of Scripture inside there. Uh, two from uh, Exodus 13, which spoke and commemorated God's deliverance of Israel from Egypt. And then there were two from Deuteronomy. And uh, in those passages, if you've, if you've read Exodus and Deuteronomy, you might re recognize these words. The Lord said about these passages that they shall be to you as a sign on your hand and as a memorial between your eyes. Uh, elsewhere, it says they may be as frontlets before your eyes. Maybe you've encountered those verses a couple times uh, in your reading and studying. And uh, what, what these men were doing, and they still, uh, there, there are many Orthodox Jews that still do this to this day, uh, in literal fulfillment of these verses, they made these little leather boxes, and they put those little passages in the boxes, and they would wear one right here between their, on their forehead, and they would wear another one on their arm. And when Jesus says that they, uh, when he says in verse 5 that they make their uh, uh, they make their phylacteries abroad and their fringes long. What he's referring to is the, the, the increase of the little straps. They'd have these little straps that go across the head uh, to make the headband. They would make those broader. They would make them bigger uh, to draw attention. Uh, they would make the strap that went around the arm bigger to draw attention. And then they would make the fringes of their garments longer, you know, uh, so that when people saw them coming into the marketplace or wherever they might be, you might go, wow, now there's a holy man. There's a devoted man. You know? uh, in modern times, we have a lot of guys that walk around like that with funny little hats on and funny little garments. Um, the whole idea is of drawing attention. It's no wonder that Jesus said here... Uh, no wonder Jesus called them hypocrites. He says in verse 6, they love places of honor at feasts and best seats in the synagogues. This was the fruit of their labors, you know, being seated in the best seats so they could be admired. Verse 7, they love greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. They love these prestigious titles. And there are a lot of groups that like this kind of things, you know, titles and ceremonies and pomp and plaques, awards and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's no fun to stand up here and, and preach this stuff, but I think what the Lord wants us to see is this is the exact opposite of the gospel. It's the complete opposite of living quorum Dale. 
It's the complete opposite of it. Jesus is here showing us a different way. He begins with verse 8. Notice what he says. He says, but you are not to be called rabbi. Do you see that? Now something drastic takes place there in verse 8. There's a change in, in uh, uh, pronoun or a change in person, if you will, there. You know, up to this point, Jesus has been speaking in the third person plural. He's been, spe he's been speaking with they. He has said, they do all their deeds to be seen. They make their phylacteries broad. They love the place of honor. But in verse 8, he changes the pronoun to the second person plural, you. But you. And it's a you plural. You know, we've lost the ability in the English language today to distinguish between you singular and you plural. Uh, when I was uh, studying Greek in seminary, uh, my professor made use of a Pittsburgh idiom. You know, in Pittsburgh, if we want to say you plural, what do we say? We say yuns. Yuns. And uh, it's not proper English. Uh, and this professor is a linguistic professor. Uh, improper English just bugs him. But on our exams, we, we would have to write yuns. If we were translating a verse and it was second person plural, then you better write yuns in there. If you just write you in there, then there's going to be some red ink on your exam. Jesus is speaking to yuns. Who's the yuns? It's real important that we don't miss this. We go back to verse 1. Go back to verse 1. Jesus said to the crowds, and to his disciples. They are the uns. You see that? Matthew 23, verse 1. Jesus is speaking to the crowds and to his disciples. It's his disciples. These are the uns here, his disciples. Um, and he's saying to his disciples, you're not to live for applause. You're not to live for your own personal glory. You're to live for the glory of God. That's what he's saying here. You're not to be called uh, rabbi. Now, the word uh, rabbi uh, literally means my great one uh, or uh, master, if you will. It was a title that was given to a highly esteemed teacher of the law. And the, this, the, the, the title itself is not really the issue. The issue is the thirst and hunger for the title. These men were thirsting and hungering uh, for this title. And that's what Jesus is rebuking, this hungering for rank over others. Uh, because notice he adds, you're all brothers. If you look at verse 8, you're not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Now, what's this idea of all brothers? Well, uh, in the faith, we're all, uh, we're all of the same stock, aren't we? We're all brothers and we're all sisters. So Jesus continues along these lines in, in uh, uh, verses 9. And you know, it's something else that before we move on, another point I think that I ought to make here is Jesus, the Yuns, are his disciples. Okay? Now, 11 of those disciples, who are they going to go on to be? They're going to go on to be the apostles. And I think it's interesting that Jesus is here telling the apostles, you're all brothers. I think that's an interesting point. You want to hang on to that. He continues along these lines in verses 9 and 10. He says, And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Verse 10, Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ. 
Now, what are we to make of these verses? Uh, if you've ever read this before, if you've come across this in your own personal reading, I'm sure many of you have, you probably scratch your head when you get to this, don't you? you know, my, my father is in the room here. Uh, am I, is it wrong for me to call him father? I don't want to draw any attention to him because he doesn't like that, but it's too late for that. I've already done it. But um, I, I, it wouldn't be hard for me to quit calling him father because I've never really called him father. Anyway, I've always called him dad. It's my dad. It's what the word we use, the dad. But is it wrong for me to call him father? Is that what Jesus is talking about here? I, I don't think so. Um, uh, in, in terms of uh, instructors, is it, is it wrong uh, for anyone to call me an instructor or a teacher? Um, I, I don't think so, but how do we answer these kinds of questions when we come to them in Scripture? There's three things that we need to remember, right? You remember the three things? Context, context, and what's the third one? It's context. What's the context? The context is very important here. Um, what is the context? Jesus is rebuking the errors of the scribes and the Pharisees, right? That's what he's doing. So that, that's the context. Okay, Jesus is not rebuking the office of instructor or teacher, and I know this because in 1 Corinthians 12, 28, uh, teacher is said to be a spiritual gift uh, to the church. And in Ephesians 4.11, we're told that God has given pastors and teachers to the church for the purpose of equipping uh, men and women for them, uh, building them up, equipping us for ministry, right? Okay, so what is Jesus saying here? Well, what, uh, what he's warning us about is becoming entangled in pomp, titles, and rank is what he's is what he is warning us about. Um, Charles Spurgeon, very humorously, he put it this way. I think you'll like this quotation. I, I came across this many years ago, and I laughed the first time I came across it, and I had to go digging for it this week, and I'll confess to you, I laughed when I dug it up again. He says, quote, Let us learn a lesson of humility from our Savior. Let us never court great titles or proud degrees. What are they, after all, but beggarly distinctions whereby one worm is known from another. <laughs> he that hath the most of them is a worm still and is in nature no greater than his fellows. You got to love that, don't you? So we get a bunch of initials after our name. We, need to be, we would do well to remember we're still worms. We're just worms with a bunch of initials at the end of our name. Don't be glorying in it. We glory in Christ, right? If Jesus called himself the Son of Man, qu quoting from Spurgeon, if Jesus called himself the Son of Man when he had far greater names, that's a thought, isn't it? When Jesus called himself the Son of Man when he had far greater names, wonderful counselor, prince of peace, Adonai, sovereign one, son of God, called himself son of man. If Jesus called himself son of man when he had far greater names, let us learn to humble ourselves unto men of low estate, knowing that he who humbleth himself shall in due time be exalted. It's pointing back to verse 12 again, right? We humble ourselves and we have a promise, don't we? It will be exalted. So what is Jesus saying here? What's he saying to us? He's saying God is our father. Jesus is our instructor, and we must never give anyone the reverence and obedience that's due only to the Father and the Son. 
right? Does that make sense? God is our Father. Jesus is our instructor. We must never give anyone the reverence and obedience that's due only to the Father and the Son. He's not forbidding uh, us to call those who teach us pastors or teachers. I, you know, you, know you, you, you could call me pastor if you want to. A lot of times when I'm being introduced to somebody, um, I, I always tell everybody, listen, you can call me Rick. That would work. Um, I've been going by that for a long time, and it's worked quite well. Uh, you can just call me Rick. I think that's good enough. Uh, just call me Rick. If you want to refer to me as your pastor, that's fine. Um, just never, never, never give me the honor or reverence that's due only to God. Never do that. That's not healthy for you or for me. And part of my job is actually to make sure that you don't do that. People have done that to me before. It, the first time it happened, I thought, this is unbelievable. If they only knew, and if they pay attention to my family, they see my family never does that, because they know. And it, it doesn't happen that often, but sometimes you have to sit down with folks and you have to say, listen, I, I need Jesus just as bad as you do. And I don't think that we should wear our hearts out on our sleeves here. I don't think that we need to come forward with all of our dirt and all the stuff we've got buried in the backyard of our lives. But sometimes I think it's, for better or for worse, it benefits people if I say, listen, you know what, I've, here's some things that I did in my past. I'm, I'm going to bring this to your attention uh, so that you'll see, you know what? I need Jesus just as bad as everyone else in this room. And so does every other man who is alive. It is sinful to receive glory from other people that belongs only to God. It would be a great sin for me to receive that glory from anyone in this room. Both of us would be sinning, but I would submit to you that I would be guilty of the greater sin. I'd be guilty of receiving it. You know, the other day I was in a public place and a religious professional walked in. And the immediate impression that I got as this individual walked in was, wow, this fellow's used to people making a lot of him. And his mannerisms as he continued on embraced that notion. He's used to people making a lot of him. Well, you want to know something you cannot do? You cannot make a lot of Jesus when you're making a lot of yourself. You can't do those things at the same time. And we can't lead others to make a lot of Jesus when we're allowing them to make a lot of ourselves. Does that make sense? Jesus is the Savior. I'm a teacher with a lowercase t. Jesus is the teacher with the uppercase t. The only thing that you should hear from my voice is that which is coming from the Word of God. That's the, 
That's, that, 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 I have no authority in and of myself. But as I teach things that come from the Word of God and you hear them, those things are binding. They come with the authority of God. All week long, I labor in the Word of God so that to the best of my ability, I can bring the Word of God to you on Sunday morning for this purpose, so that you can hear the very voice of Almighty God. Have you ever thought about that? When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, you've just heard that from the voice of a man. But you're going to be held responsible for believing that as if you heard that from the voice of Almighty God. Isn't that amazing? That's an amazing thing, isn't it? If you wrote a letter to your family, to a family member who couldn't read, and when that letter arrived to your family member who couldn't read, and somebody else read the letter to your family member who couldn't read, who would be speaking as that letter was read? Insofar as that letter was read accurately, the author of that letter would be speaking. You would be speaking had you wrote it. It's no wonder the Bible says that, that God's Word says it's living and, and powerful. It's able to divide the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. But in terms of reverence, never, never, never give a man the reverence, the obedience, and the honor that belongs to Almighty God. Here's a last point I'd like to live with, uh, leave with you. Uh, look with me to verse 11. Uh, the greatest among you shall be your servant. You see that there? You know, those who like to have much made of them also like to be served, but Jesus is saying we're to be the exact opposite of this, aren't we? And we're called to live quorum Deo. We're called to be servants before the face of God. And, you know, if you don't mind, just turning back to chapter 20 and looking at verse 26 for a moment. I don't mean to flip you all over Matthew this morning, but I think it'd be your benefit to just take a look at this one last verse. See Matthew 20 and verse 26. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? To serve. See that? He came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's easy to read that passage and just keep right on cruising. But it's an incredible notion that the Son of God would come to serve sinful people like us. 
If you're looking for the motive and the impetus to want to serve God, this is where it's at. Please don't go out and try to do a uh, do-it-yourself restoration of your heart. That doesn't work very well. Uh, there's a lot of do-it-yourself projects that we can do. This is not one of them. We can't reform our own hearts. We don't need to. We've got a Savior that will do that for us. And this is one of those verses, if you're, look, if you're looking for some inner drive to serve the Lord, look and m- meditate on this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. It's an incredible notion that the second person of the Trinity would step into time, space, and history in the person of Jesus Christ for the express purpose of serving sinners who hate Him. That's what He did. Prior to God's grace, we were indifferent to Him. Indifference is a form of hatred. And he lived a perfect life in order to serve us, to glorify God, to serve us. And he went to the cross and he gave his life as a ransom for many. What an unbelievable thing. Look how he served us. Our Savior came to serve. And He has come into our lives in order to transform us from being self-serving, which we come naturally out of the box. You know, when you open something up and you get it out of the box, you know how it comes stock from, the, uh, from wherever. Uh, we, we come self-serving, don't we? we? We never had to be taught that, did we? God's working in our lives to transform us into... Uh, serving others, to become a, a servant. So in conclusion, where have we been? We're not, to be, we're not to labor in order to be seen. We're not to labor for an applause. We're, we're not to get caught up in titles, pomp, and rank. You know, we're not to be blowing trumpets around when we do something nice. I don't think anybody here has a trumpet that they blow. But uh, one diagnostic question when you've done something nice, do you have to tell anybody about it? Are you able to keep it to yourself? We're not in it for an applause. We're not in it for titles, pomp, and rank. Instead, we're called to live quorum Deo before the face of God. We're to live for God's glorious servants of Christ. Heavenly Father, Lord, before you we stand and you know our hearts and there's something in this for each one of us Lord we we can never get through a passage like this without without running into something that's smart we could never get through a passage like this Lord without uh, without a prickling in our hearts But, O Lord, we rejoice that there you are. There is your presence right there before us. We rejoice in the fact, O Lord, that we are the Yuns. And if we're not the Yuns this morning, Lord, may we we rejoice in the fact that you're calling us to be the Yuns, that we could be the Yuns, that, O Lord, we, 
by simple faith in, in you, oh Lord, we could, we could become a Yuns. We could become a disciple. We call on you, O oh Lord, to transform us, O oh Lord, for those who are often very self-serving and self-seeking, that you would transform us, O oh Lord, into the disciples who live quorum Deo before you, before the eyes of God, living to please you and to glorify you in all that we do. And to these ends, O oh Lord, we praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.